0: Our text for today is Psalm 19. Psalm 19. By the way, I meant to mention this earlier and overlooked it in my excitement to talk about today's topic. Um, This is a good time to get into a community group. If... uh, if that's something you wanted to do but didn't get around to it. Um, A lot of the groups are going to be finishing their initial run through the initial set of material within the next few weeks, and so it's going to be a good time to jump in uh, shortly if you would like to uh, be part of that. Um, I think you'll find it very beneficial um, to you, very enjoyable. Um, The information on how to go about Getting involved is in the bulletin on the inside cover. How you can get get in touch with Pastor Tyler and uh, get involved. Psalm 19 is a celebration of the Word of God. What's your favorite C.S. Lewis book? Mine's The Silver Chair. Chronicles and Narnia are wonderful. Uh, Mere Christianity, Screwtape Letters. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote all of these. Um, Many of you will know that by trade and by training, C.S. Lewis was a literary critic. Like, that was his job. He was a professor of literature. He happened to also be a writer, but he was a literary critic, so he really knew his stuff. He called Psalm 19 the greatest Poem in the whole book of Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the history of the world. And that's what we get to talk about today. Our text is Psalm 19, and in particular, our interest is the sentiment expressed in verse 10 that the Scriptures are... More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, that they are sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Now, do you feel that way about this book? Why are these words more desirable than? Much fine gold and sweeter than than honey. Why is this book so desirable? We're going to answer that question today in three parts from Psalm 19. That's where we're headed. Three reasons from Psalm 19 why the Word of God is desirable. Okay? Very simple outline. What are the three reasons... By the word of God is desirable. Psalm nineteen. Let's read it first, and then I would like to pray, and then we'll talk about those three reasons. All right. Now, if you're able, if you're able, um, please stand for the reading of the word in honor of God and his word. Psalm nineteen. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. and my Redeemer. Father, your your greatness exceeds the bounds of our minds, not only because of what we see in the heavens, but also and mainly because of what we see in the cross. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the cross declares the glory of God. A God completely just, but also full of mercy. And there we see Christ, our sin-bearer and victor over sin in the grave. We see your glory everywhere we look. Father, I pray over the bowed down sinner this morning. I pray over the guilty, the fearful, the hopeless, the skeptical, the empty, the sick, and the lonely. I pray over them and entrust them to you now. As we gather around your word, I pray that you would minister to hearts that need to be ministered to in some way that I'm not even aware of, with words that the Holy Spirit will appoint to minister to people. We are needy, but you are full, and you have promised to give good gifts to your children. So I pray for that ministry to happen now by means of the Holy Spirit, through what the Holy Spirit has given us today in Psalm 19. And we pray in Jesus' lovely name, amen. All right, please be seated. Why are the scriptures desirable? The first reason the scriptures are desirable is because this is where God speaks. This book is where God speaks. Now, the the poem starts by telling us about how God has spoken, uh, not in the Bible, but in creation. That's what the first... Um, Six verses lead us to consider the way that God has already spoken in creation. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. See, the heavens say something about God. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world Creation is communicating to us something about the glory of God. I don't have to press that point any further to you. You know, you've seen it. You've seen what's outside these walls. You've been to the beautiful exotic places in the world where you've been spoken to about the glory of God because of what you've seen. When you look up and when you look out. In God's creation, we see his power and his perfections. Verses 5 and 6 celebrate the perfectly tuned circuits of the planets and the, the sun. The planets around the sun. Everything around us has been perfectly tuned to support life and for life to flourish. So we look up and we see perfection and we see the power to perfect. That power to perfect is resident in God. And then in verses 7 through 11, we see the focus change to the written word of God. Now, that's a very abrupt change, isn't it, moving from verse 6 to verse 7. We are likely to read through this poem and go, wait a minute, what's going on here? We go from this talk about creation to now the law of the Lord is perfect with no warning that the subject is going to change. So, what is happening here? Well, here's what's happening. The author is moving from a description of one perfection to another. Just as we can look up into the heavens and see perfection from God, we can also look down into the scriptures and see perfection from God. Fine-tuned, sure, true, consistent, right perfection. Not using the medium of stars and planets, but using the medium of words and sentences. What do we learn from seeing these two perfections set side by side, creation and the word? Well, for all of the beauty and perfection that we see around us in creation, we learn that the scriptures do not take a back seat to creation in terms of beauty and desirability and perfection. Everything that God does is beautiful, desirable, and perfect. Let that sink in for a minute. Everything that God does is beautiful, desirable, and perfect. Can you imagine having everything you do be perfect? I think one of the hardest jobs in the world has to be songwriter or, or whoever comes up with new musical arrangements. I can't, I can't imagine sitting down day by day and trying to do that, trying to think of something new to put in a song and how to say it and how to get the music right. And I just think maybe if, if, if I were a songwriter or a music person, if I could just get it perfect one time, One time, maybe it all comes together the the lyrics, the instrumentation, the voice, the emotion. And how do you keep coming up with all these songs? Well, can you imagine every time you sit down to write a song, writing a perfect song that can't be improved upon? That's what it's like to be God. Every single time. Every single thing, perfection. If God has written something to us, one thing we know is that it's perfect. Verse 7 tells us that. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is also at least two other things. If we have God's word, one thing we know is that it's perfect, but we also know that it's at least two other things. First of all, if it comes from God, it bears unique authority. It bears unique authority over us by virtue of the fact that it's from God. And if this word is from God, it also has unique power to work within us. God uses his word to pierce our hearts and change our hearts and call forth life from places where no life exists. The word of God has unique authority and unique power. Did you remember that those are the two things that people could not get over whenever they listened to Jesus? Whenever they heard words come out of Jesus' mouth, those were the two things that People marveled at those very two things, unique authority and unique power. Remember Mark 1, when he opens his mouth to speak in the synagogue, the reaction of the people is, what is this teaching? A new kind of teaching with authority. And then in Mark 4, when his disciples listen to him command the wind and the waves, and tell them to stop and be still. Remember their reaction. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They can't believe the power of his words. God's word carries unique authority and unique power. And those things were both obscured in the medieval church. We're keeping one eye on the observance of Reformation Sunday today, and just learning a little, about, a little bit about history and thinking back to how in the medieval period the authority and the power of the church grew and grew and grew and as that authority and power within the church structure grew and grew and grew the authority and the power the unique authority and unique power of the scripture became less and less and less therefore the reformation to set things right Therefore, the Reformation cry of sola scriptura. Scripture alone is our authority, as opposed to Scripture and the traditions of the church. And lest we think that this is all ancient history, and we think, well, okay, now we're fine, because now everyone in the church knows that the Bible is our authority, and we're on good footing now. I mean... It's not ancient history. I mean, just within the last few years, this question within evangelical circles has been at the forefront, thinking through what is the role of the Bible in worship services? How much should we present the Bible to people who come in and attend a worship service? And a very influential pastor, someone who went to the same seminary that I did, a seminary um, that is known for its focus on the Bible, ironically, that influential pastor has really been at the forefront of saying, maybe we need to go easy on the Bible stuff. You know, we've lived long enough to see the church not want to talk about the Bible so much. Now, his intentions are good. I know his intentions are good. And, you know, a lot of speaking to people, a lot of preaching, all speaking and all preaching is done in context, in a particular context, aimed toward a particular audience. It's always true. And I know that his goal is to reach a subset of people, who stop listening as soon as the preacher says, thus saith the Lord. Because it carries no weight with them. Because no one wants to hear, thus saith the Lord. No one wants to be confronted with the text and the word of God. And culturally, we all understand this, culturally the Bible does not carry the same practical authority among the American audience that it used to. There's not this common agreement about the authority of the Scriptures. And so the strategy can be, well, let's just kind of hide the Bible in the back and reason with people up front and kind of bring the Bible in through the back door. That's one strategy. That's one way to try to win people for Christ. But in a preaching context, I think it comes down to this question. Who do you want to hear from? And when you come to a worship service, do you want to hear from a human being? Or do you want to hear from God? And I've got to tell you that my soul longs to hear from God. I know that what you need is to hear from God. Are you longing to hear from God on some matter? Has God seemed silent to you for some time on something that you've been talking to him about? Do you wonder if God really does hear and see and care? And if He does, why is He silent? This is where God speaks. God has not been silent, He speaks here in the Scriptures. And that's the first reason why the scriptures are desirable. Because here, God speaks to us. This is where God speaks. We hear him in these pages. I want you to hear from him. Not from me. Only from me as a means of communicating what God has already spoken to you in the Scriptures. First of all, this is where God speaks. That's the first reason why these Scriptures are desirable. Second, this is where God speaks of His Son. That's the second reason why the Scriptures are desirable, because this is where God speaks of His Son, how are you used to thinking about this book? What is this book to you? For, for some of you, this has been, never been anything more than a book of rules. And something that you had to read. Because someone was making you do it. For some of you, this just represents something really, really hard. Hard to understand. Hard to do. When you think about the Bible, your association is Difficult. Some of you just think, Bible, old, irrelevant book. Still read by some. A few years ago, I heard someone refer to the scriptures in a way that um, I just loved. This is what they said. The Bible is the Father's witness to his Son. Isn't that great? The Bible is the Father's witness to his Son. At its core, what this is, is a collection of the Father's testimony to his Son in history, in prophecy, in poetry in narrative all of those different genres it's the father's witness to his son that is just that is not just our idea that's not my idea jesus is the one who actually presents himself as the center of all scripture he does that in luke 24 post resurrection when he's speaking with those disciples Luke 24, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus presented himself as the interpretive key to the Bible. Therefore, no part of the Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, is correctly interpreted or preached until the connection to Jesus has been established. How does this material relate to the Son of God, Jesus Christ? That's the question you should go to the text with. What do I see here? that makes a line toward Christ. Jesus is the interpretive key. No passage of Scripture has been correctly interpreted or preached until the connection to Jesus has been established. And it takes a lot of work to make that connection. Well, what about Psalm 19? Where is Jesus in Psalm 19? If we're going to go by that... Formulation and say we really haven't understood everything until we've related it to Jesus. What do we do with Psalm 19? Well, let's start here, recognizing this that here in Psalm 19, even though it's not readily apparent, humanity's oldest problem is addressed in Psalm 19. The oldest problem that we have collectively as a race. Adam's race, Adam's helpless fallen race, our oldest problem is addressed. What is that problem? Something else being more desirable than the word of God. That's our oldest problem. There was the word of God and there was something else. And that something else was more desirable in that moment than the word of God the fruit that delight to the eyes that thinking about how good it would taste that competition present in our first parents between the word of God what he had spoken and this other thing that was so desirable and what's going to win Psalm 19 is written to uphold the word of God over other things that we desire. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. The word is more desirable. Adam and Eve rejected the word in favor of something else. And now we see our need of Jesus, don't we? Jesus is the one who chose the word over everything else desirable. You remember that passage. All of those desirable things were dangled out in front of him and could have been his in a moment. Satan presented all of those things to him. And they could have been his in a moment. And in that moment of temptation, in those minutes, he upheld the word of God as the most desirable thing. He won that battle with Satan where our first parents lost. And it's the battle that I lose all the time. Therefore... I need Jesus, my champion, the one who upheld the word of God over everything else desirable. He was the victor in the temptation. I am the failure in temptation. I need his life. Jesus' faithfulness is the glory of the scriptures. That he succeeded where we failed. That we have been unfaithful, but he has been faithful And it was his faithfulness that was obscured in the teachings of the Roman church. The righteousness of Christ, freely given by God, accessed by faith according to the scriptures, had been replaced with a system of how one could access grace. and thus be saved. In order to be saved, I I needed grace, but that grace was only accessible to me through my faithfulness to be at those church services, to do penance, to do good works. If I was faithful to do this and this and this, then salvation could be mine. Therefore, the Reformation. Therefore, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The recovery of the true gospel. I spend a lot of time studying the Bible. Um, I spend a lot of time trying to interpret the Bible many of you do too and it's really hard work isn't it to to sit down with the scriptures and try to figure out all right what does this mean it's called it's called the hard work of exegesis What a difficult word, and what a difficult thing to do. And we sit down and we work so hard at exegesis to dig out the the meaning of the text. But what I've realized over these years is that as I spend time in the Word, I don't so much interpret the Bible as the Bible interprets me to myself. Have you come to that realization also That when you sit down with this book, it's it's not so much that we're making interpretation of the Bible, although we have to do that work. But as we sit down and spend time in this book, the Bible interprets me. It explains me to myself why I am the way that I am. Why my heart is the way that it is. And it points me to my greatest need. Jesus. That's the goal of the scripture. Show us who we are. Show us who he is. Point us to his faithfulness. That he is desirable and worthy. And in these passages, his excellencies are unfolded passage by passage. This is where the father speaks of his Son. It's the second reason that the scriptures are desirable. Let's take one more, okay? Getting to the end of the psalm. This is where God speaks. This is where God speaks of his son. Finally, this is where God speaks to me. This is where God speaks to me. Notice that the poem becomes very personal at the end. It starts with creation. Then we've got this passage about the word, the written word. And then it becomes very, very personal. The author starts talking about his own sin and his own desires. Verse 14 is probably the most well-known verse in, in the psalm. Many of you have it memorized. Just notice this one thing about verse 14, that the idea moves from the word of God. The whole psalm has been about the word of God. And now the idea changes to the words that come from my mouth. May the words of my mouth, talking about things that come forth from us, there's a recognition here that just as there is a voice and a word from God that is perfect and heard in all creation, there are also thoughts and meditations within us that are expressed in words that we are speaking out into the world. And the request is, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I think if we summarize that request, we could say something like this. What, what are we really asking when we pray that prayer? God, my desire is to be like the rest of your creation that's been celebrated here. May I also declare your glory. May I also run my course in perfect obedience and joy, like that sun that we see arcing over us in a manner of speaking, day by day. May I also run my course with perfect obedience to my surrogate and joy as I go. Let me not be that point of creation that lives in defiance to you. Rather, let me be pleasing to you. So the psalm ends with a plea that we might also be pleasing to God and obedient to God and a revealer of His glory, like everything we see around us. Now, it doesn't just happen. It's not an automatic thing that a Christian will reveal the glory of God, is it? It does not happen automatically that a Christian will reveal the glory of God. How does it happen? Happens when a Christian is formed by the Word. Look at the effect of the Word on a person. Did you notice those things in verses 7 and 8? The Word revives the soul, the Word makes wise the simple. The word rejoices the heart. The word enlightens the eyes. Think about how the word forms a person. How it does all those things inside of them. Inside of you. The word reaches places inside of you that nothing else can reach. The word speaks to your pain in a way that no other counselor can speak to it. The word confronts sin issues in you that no other friend in a way that no other friend can do. It smooths our sharp edges. It works both in a moment in time and over the decades. Its work within us cannot be charted or explained. It is a mysterious work because it is the work of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus compares to the wind. We can't see its work. All we can do is see its effects. It's the way it is with the Holy Spirit at work within us. It's mysterious. We can't explain it. All we see are the effects on a person when they've been spending time consistently over the years in the Word. This is where God speaks to me, where I listen, and where we may commune with God quietly. Here we can confess our sin with David. Here we can confess our confusion along with Habakkuk. Here we can confess our utter dismay and frustration along with Moses. Here we can confess to God our anger, along with Jonah. Here we can confess to God our unworthiness, along with Peter. Here we confess our reliance on God's grace, along with Paul. Here we can confess our sorrow and our pain, along with Jeremiah. Here we can even confess our desire just to be done, along with Elijah. Just say, God, I'm done. And here also we can confess our longing for the return of Jesus with the Apostle John. The Bible is where God speaks to me and where I may speak back to God and where we have relationship both with God and all of his people of all time who lived life with God with all of its pain and questions and longing and joy. On Reformation Sunday, one of the things we celebrate is the scriptures in our hands, in our own language, where we may have relationship with our God, with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is on full display here, whom we can know today and tomorrow and forever. This is where God speaks. This is where God speaks of his son, and this is where God speaks to me and to you. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Father, we we celebrate this written word. We have no faithfulness of our own. We believe that your word has been sharpened and pointed right at our hearts to make sure we know that we have been unfaithful to your good and right law, But you, instead of Causing us to bear the consequences of that unfaithfulness, have provided your son as a substitute to bear the consequences of unfaithfulness on our behalf. And now, anyone, anyone who will look to Jesus and say, My faithful champion, the one who succeeded where we all failed, I own him today as Savior. And as Lord to know in relationship and enjoy forever, anyone who will repent and believe in the Son may have life and joy everlasting. What a message to recover! What a shame that it was lost. Thank you for that great work, Father, that you have done to make sure that that message was not lost forever, but recovered, celebrated over 500 years later today. Amen.